Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. We are David and Tracy Sellers, and we made Vows to Keep on November 3rd, 2001. Boy, I wish you were in front of us today. I wish we could go eye to eye with you because we've got some great questions. I would love to hear your answers on. <laughs> like how long did you date before you got married? Think about this. What was your first kiss like? Can you tell me about that? And why did you get married? Okay, David, that's a little bit deeper than a first kiss, right? Why did I get married? That is I'm... a little deeper. Well, how about this? What was your last kiss like? The reason we'd love to be having this conversation face-to-face with you today, the reason why we would love to hear your answers to these questions, because we want to know your heart. We know that your answers would shed some light into the purpose of your marriage today. And that purpose is something that drives everything that we do day in and day out. Okay, so we can't hear what you're saying, but we could give you our experience. That's right. We dated for about 14 months. Our first kiss was an absolute train wreck. I mean, like literally I almost broke your nose off. That's okay. Plastic surgery fixes things. (laughs) It's all right. Why did we get married? Well, I think we got married for all the same reasons that probably you would say we were deeply in love. We were each other's best friends. Okay. Just say it, David, just be honest. Yeah. You were hot. hot. (laughs) (laughs) And our last kiss. Pretty passionate. Okay. You know, one of the things that I remember distinctly from when we were dating and, and even when we were early married, do you remember your email address, Tracy? Purposed for him at suchandsuch.com. And I remember thinking like, whoa, is this talking about another guy? I think I even asked you like, are you talking about like someone in your past or are you talking about me? Does that say proposed for him? No, <laughs> yeah, purpose for that. him, purpose for God. And that's what this broadcast is called today. Purposed for him. Because that is exactly what we need to be, on fire, on mission for God in our marriage. As we talk about purpose, we will see that it is so tied to our passions. And I think the world would tell us that, in fact, much of the troubles that we face today in our marriage is because we started out wrong. In fact, many of our marriages do start out wrong. Maybe it's because we're both in rebellion mode and, and there was a baby on the way and that seemed like the next logical step. One of the counseling couples that are on our team, well, they had a marriage that started out pretty wrong. They literally were dealing with alcoholism, infidelity, even the threat of suicide. And all of it looked like the end of their marriage was imminent. Everyone around them told them, this is hopeless. This is pointless. But then God moved in a way that he got their full attention. They gave their lives to him. And now 30 some years later, they are counseling other couples about how the purpose of their lives, the purpose of their marriage relates to the very things they're doing today. Your marriage, though, could have started out strong. You remember seeing your husband walking across the campus of the Bible school you both went to, and you thought, that is the most godly man I've ever seen in my entire life. I need to marry this guy because things are going to be perfect. But here you are, maybe 5, 10, 15 years down the road, And things aren't quite as ideal as you would hope. Here's what we want you to consider. How you started your marriage doesn't determine how you will finish. God is not done writing your story yet. That's right. In fact, I would say there's very little difference in how you started because 
just like this couple that's on our counseling team, that God has the power to redeem those that are at the lowest points in their marriage. And in fact, they end up having a testimony of his awesome power in a way that some of us that haven't been through those kind of trials maybe can't tell. Many of us, though, don't start our marriage with a proper perspective of what God would want from this relationship. Many women start out really wanting that fairy tale relationship, the one where the guy pursues the girl above anything else, and she gets all the desires of her heart met. We're supposed to come home on a white horse every day, right? But then this has a flip side too, because us guys, we're also pursuing paradise. We think to ourselves when we sign up for this marriage, I get to have this awesomely amazing woman anytime I want her. I don't know where you're at in your marriage today because I can't sit across from the table from you right now and look in your eyes and hear your words. But I wish I could ask you the question, what can we learn from where we're at in our marriages today and where we started? Hopefully the answer is that selfish pursuits never deliver. You're probably experiencing that right now. Something that you've been chasing hasn't panned out. So you've chased the next thing in your marriage and that has disappointed. So now you're on to the next thing. When we get in that spot sooner or later, we begin to ask ourselves the question of, Hey, if this guy's no longer making me happy, something needs to change. And oftentimes we, we go from something needs to change to that person is the wrong person. I married the wrong person and the change that needs to happen is not in them, but of them completely. I've heard a lot of people say things like my husband or my wife is, is no longer the woman I married. Tracy and I were talking about this recently when I was dating her, there was something in my mind. There was a plan that, that I thought my life would look like, and she fit into it perfectly. So what did I do? Well, I put on my best face to win her heart. The same thing happened in reverse. David fit perfectly into my plan for my life and what I wanted to be fulfilled with. So I put on all my charms to win him as well. So did you marry the wrong person? No. No. In fact, the issue was that both you and that other person that you married were being fraudulent in the very beginning. And although we might not have really thought about it as being deceptive at that time, the fact of the matter is, is that our intentions weren't totally pure. Most of us were looking at this, this amazing woman or this amazing man and saying, I want them because this is what they're capable of doing for me. This is the part they will play in my life. But don't give up just yet. There is definitely hope at the end of the tunnel here. Here's what I want you to think about today as we dig a little bit deeper into this. Answer this question. What are you most disappointed in? Like right now in your marriage. Think about that for a minute. What has got you extremely frustrated in your marriage? And then let's ask this joint question that's so tied to it. What is the purpose of your marriage? Not what you think the purpose should be, not what you've been told it should be, but what is it? Because we can look at what we're most disappointed in and we can so easily see then the purpose of our marriage, what we're striving after. A lot of times we hear from people, I've got differences with my husband. We just can't reconcile. So we're just going to live as roommates together. Maybe we're just going to go our separate ways. But I think if we are willing to set our hearts before God and be willing to learn from him, we can see that that's not where things can go. In fact, there is so much hope up ahead, even when there are differences. Yeah, the differences that we're talking about today in almost every situation we've ever run into 
is that there is a difference between my purpose for being married and God's purpose. Have you ever thought about that? I think a lot of people would wish that we would come today and just give them tips and tricks on how to manipulate their spouse to to come back to being that person who would fulfill that picture that they had when they first got married, maybe even a way that would glorify God. That's not what we're here to do today. What we're saying is that too often the secondary purposes for marriage are being placed above the primary purpose. And what does this mean for us? Well, it means that there's going to be a lot of discontentment, a lot of fearfulness, and a lot of frustration. And I would add to that a lot of unforgiveness and resentment. Let me give you an example. Okay, ladies, we all want our husbands to spiritually lead, right? That's something that God's word lays out for us. It's something that is a good desire to have. But but a wife who has a fear of not being completely and unconditionally accepted by their spouse is going to be devastated if her husband comes to her and says, hey, hun, here's a sin I see in your life. Here's an issue I think we need to resolve. He's trying to spiritually lead her. And she backs away completely because she feels all of a sudden like she's not accepted. Likewise, a man who has a purpose in his marriage for peace at whatever the cost will never spiritually lead his wife because he'll never be willing to point out truth that might need to be said because it might be unpopular. Too often what we actually find is that both of them have the right desires, but their priorities, their purpose in their marriage is trumping their ability to fulfill their roles. A man who's made companionship or sex his primary purpose for marriage is going to desire fulfillment through other outlets if his wife doesn't fully meet his, his every need. And again, we're not saying any of this is right. What we're saying is these are observations of things you might see in your own marriage. Here's another example, ladies, a woman who desires security and protection, which I think we all do from our spouse may feel fearful or maybe insecure when the finances are tight. Maybe someone's lost their job in the home. Maintaining a godly perspective on the purpose of your marriage is foundational for a successful marriage relationship. Your desires, they're probably not bad, right? There's probably no one listening to my voice right now who's thinking to themselves, how do we, how do we knock down that bank, babe? Right. Let's go do it. Okay. No. <laughs> how else am I going to solve my financial problems besides that? Now that's probably not what we're dealing with, but the question is, do we know what God's purpose is for our marriage? And do our desires line up with that? Think about this. What does God desire to see happen from your marriage? Well, certainly the biggest purpose he has is for his kingdom. Your desires are probably not bad, but they can't be first. God's purpose is bigger. It's for his kingdom to be on display. Your marriage is intended to be the main means for you as a married couple to demonstrate the love you have for God and his love for the world. And this comes out in so many ways, especially because we have this ability to show his love to each other. I think that's actually where it needs to start, David. As we look at the Great Commission, for example, in Matthew 28, you know, we are to go and make disciples of all nations. And if we start with the nations first, but we don't start in our own home first, we're never going to be the light that God intended us to be. We've got to start with the closest relationship to us, which is our marriage relationship. It's toward our spouse. When I first married David, I had a very legalistic mindset of how God felt about me. And it was through his love for me 
when I was at my worst and he was loving me the most that I really saw my first true glimpse of God's love. Let me say this to you. You are your spouse's greatest understanding of God's love for them. And God's love for the world. Because people will see your marriage when you are loving your spouse when they deserve it the least. And they will ask you why. There are a few life situations I'm sure you know that test true Christianity living out what we really believe more than the intimacy of the marriage relationship. It brings all of our sins up close and personal. We can't get away from our spouse's selfishness, pride, their laziness, their impatience. All those things are going to be exposed to us on a daily basis. So here we are with this under a microscope and we are tired of looking at it. We're tired of dealing with it. And God says, lean in, love them, carry out your role in their life. But typically we don't see it that way. We see their sin as an affront to us. We take offense and we back away. And all of a sudden God's purposes become secondary to our purposes. And Satan gets what he wants in that situation. You see, even if your marriage becomes not a story of divorce, but a story of isolation, he's one. Let me take that one step farther. Think about it this way. When you get what you want from your spouse, when they complete that picture that you have in your mind about what your marriage should look like, well, then of course you want them. But when they are in the way of what you want, you no longer want them. And this is a two-way street. Sometimes it might be you that is on the receiving side of this. You're no longer fitting what they want and you're no longer what they want at all. You see, we have to level set in our mind about this primary purpose that God has for our marriage, to tell the world about him, to tell the world the truth about him, and then see those secondary things that we get like companionship and friendship and intimacy. All those things, those are like the icing on the cake. They're like the bonus. Because if it's the other way around, if we in fact put our purpose ahead of God's purpose, you know what that's called? That's called making an idol. Now, if you've ever read Exodus 20, you're going to know that God is not a big fan of idols. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second, David. I don't have any idols in my life. And, and I would have probably actually said the same thing. 10, 20 years ago, I would have read this verse and thought, check, don't have a problem with that. But the truth is that anything rules me other than God is an idol. In fact, most of the idols that we deal with today are idols of ideas that we have. I should be the most respected person. I should be in charge. I should be paid the most. I should be whatever it may be. Sometimes it's an idol of the heart. Our spouse needs to be a certain way to meet my desire. In his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, Paul David Tripp talks about a progression of how a desire can become a sin. Let's walk through that with a real life scenario. Let's say ladies that one of your primary purposes for getting married was to have this best friend. And that is a wonderful desire. God gives us companionship. As the years go on, your husband stops asking you, Hey babe, what do you want to do on Saturday? I'm all yours. I just want to spend the day with you. He starts doing his own thing and you're thinking, hey, what about this best friend situation? I've been waiting all week to have this time with you. Your desire can morph into a demand. You begin to think, I must have this. And you know what? You're going to help me get what I want. And that can quickly become a need. I will have this. And then expectations enter the picture. I should have this. And you know what? You should help me get it. 
And when those expectations aren't met, I begin to punish you for not giving me what I want. And that punishment could come in the form of independence or isolation, doing my own thing because you know what? You're doing yours. But if we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, here he is about to suffer on the cross. Yet he prays this prayer, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We see that in Luke 22. And those same words are echoed in how God taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. You've heard it before. Your kingdom come, your will be done. When we put the primary purpose of our marriage in its proper place, we are saying those words just like Jesus did, Lord, not my will but yours be done today. And when we do so, we get enormous fulfillment that comes in the form of those secondary purposes actually being fulfilled. So what is God's will? Well, God's will is pretty clearly defined in his word if we're willing to search it out. It comes in the form just like Jesus, where it's not necessarily something that's going to bring great personal joy. In fact, oftentimes it comes with great personal cost. But his love on display, just like when he went to the cross, is the very thing that our love in our spouse's life often becomes. It becomes a spectacle of who Jesus is. And long-term, we get a lot of fulfillment in the form of those secondary purposes because I can tell you as a husband who's been loved at the highest points when I deserved it the least, that it commanded my attention. Eventually, I started asking the question, why is she doing this? And I came to realize that, of course, she does love me, But the reason she's doing this is because she wants to obey the role that God's defined for her. Here's the deal. Every wrong behavior begins with believing a lie. So what lie have you believed about the purpose of your marriage? Where have you put your desire ahead of God's? And how do you see that playing out in your daily life? Examine the answer to that question closely. Then here's what you need to believe. God established marriage as a covenant, not a contract. If you go look at Malachi 2 and Proverbs 2, you're going to see some great verses. As a matter of fact, let's go do that now. Malachi chapter 2. I'm going to pick up in verse 13. It says, You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, Why does he not? Because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. This concept continues in Proverbs chapter 2. We can see this in verses 16, 17, 18, 19, and so on, where God talks about someone who's interacting with a forbidden woman, someone who has forsaken the companion of her youth and forgot the covenant before God. The results of that is a house that sinks to death. A woman who departs from the path, who none come back to her, nor do they regain the paths of life. So God is encouraging us to walk in the way of good, to keep the path of righteous, for the upright will inherit the very things that he has promised. And those with integrity will remain in those things. There's really three key differences between a covenant and a contract, and they say so much in today's world. And how we treat our marriage says so much about whether we believe we're in a covenant or a contract. See, a covenant is based upon trust between two people, where a contract is based upon distrust. So as you're thinking about your marriage, where are you currently standing? 
A covenant is based upon unlimited responsibility, but a contract is based upon limited liability. I am not willing to take any more. A covenant, on the other hand, cannot be broken if new circumstances occur. Even if really terrible things are happening, I am all in. A contract, though? Well, that can be voided because we both agree this isn't working any longer. So this is where it comes down to knowing the Bible and realizing that that marriage covenant is this comprehensive, permanent bond. And it's defined that way, not because we're going to stick this out through thick and thin. No, think about what God has said. Think about what God has done. God has made this covenant relationship with you. The day that you accepted the Lord as your personal savior, he made a covenant that was no matter what. Every time we break a covenant in our marriage, we're telling the world a lie about God. Because our beliefs drive our actions, what you think about God is the most important thing you will ever think about. And where you put God in your marriage, that's the most important decision that you will make for your relationship. The things that you're pursuing reveal what you desire. I want you to stop and think about what I've just said. The things that you're pursuing reveal what you desire. And if you're having a hard time pinpointing what you are pursuing, think again of the question we asked earlier. This week in your marriage, what were you most disappointed in? That's going to be a red flag to you. While this may not necessarily be something which is a terribly bad desire, right? You probably have some good desires. If it is ahead of what you know is God's purpose for your marriage, if whatever has created that biggest frustration for you, has caused you to not fulfill your role, the God-given designed role for you in your marriage, then that thing has been placed too high in your priority list. What we're trying to say in today's broadcast is this. Too many times what we want in that moment, whether it's a wife who always wants us, a husband who cleans up after himself impeccably, a house that's always put together, kids that are always behaving, When we put those things in such a position that we're unable in our own eyes to fulfill the role that God has given us, we've got a problem. We've got a problem because we have a credibility issue with the rest of the world and telling them about God's love. What am I meaning by this, Tracy? If you can't put loving your husband ahead of having a perfectly clean house, if you can't put loving your wife ahead of what she's maybe not in the mood for right now. The world sees that kind of bitterness creep in. The world sees that this is actually a conditional love. It's not a covenant love. And your wife will see it as well. And you may not necessarily realize it, but these are the very things that creep up on us to turn us into someone who God does not want us to be. This is where we begin to justify sinful behavior that alienates our spouse. And the sad fact of the matter is, is that we see this in homes claiming Christ as Lord and Savior all of the time. I'm not trying to say you're not saved. I found many people that have become a Christian far enough to get themselves into heaven, but they stop right there as baby Christians. Being a Christian doesn't isolate you from being selfish. Being a Christian doesn't isolate you from wanting an agenda out of your life. But being a Christian should cause you to want God's agenda for your life first and foremost. One in which your marriage is not just about serving you, but is about serving Him. 
I chose the email address purposed for him because I wanted anyone who communicated with me to ask what I meant by that. May it be so for your marriage as well that anyone who communicates with you as a married couple understands that your purpose is for him. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.